Good morning. Man, you are getting better at that every week. I'm impressed. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. If you want to be turning there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start around verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning around verse 4 when we get there in just a moment. Have you ever uh, seen something that just sort of made you scratch your head like, what? why would you do that? I, I'm, some things, you know, I, I kind of forget, and then it, I was just was sitting there thinking this morning, as we talk about what real change looks like, I couldn't help but remember a, a new story I saw a couple years ago when there was a, a huge drought out in California, that area where they didn't have water to water their lawns. And so the way that they decided that they would fix that situation is that they would just spray paint the grass. And so they took their brown grass and turned it green with, with spray paint or some kind of paint. I don't remember exactly what kind of paint it was. And I remember sitting there being like, that's weird, right? I mean, dude, I would come over, but I'm, spray, I'm painting my lawn. Like, you know, like, I can understand AstroTurf never having to mow again is not a bad idea, but, but spray paint, really? Like, that's how you're going to try and pretend like your grass is green? But, but as I was sitting there this morning thinking about the, the topic of change and what real change looks like, I thought, you know, that's kind of what we do a lot of times. Rather than having real change in our life, we just sort of spray paint the surface to make things look okay. I'm sure that some of you, maybe a lot of you did New Year's resolutions this year. I told you last year I've given up on New Year's resolutions. Like if I didn't feel like it was a good idea the last 365 days, thinking that I'll start today, that's probably not going to happen. I'm going to save myself some time and disappointment and just you know, go with the flow. And, but, but I imagine that there are many of you who started the New Year's resolutions that have found out, oh, yeah, I've already failed, right? I've already moved on from that. Guys, change is hard, isn't it? Change is difficult. I would even go as far to say that change is impossible. You see, when it comes to sin in our life, when it comes to the things in our lives that we don't like being there, we typically respond with very bad uh, uh, behaviors. So a lot of times we'll end up coping with that sin or with that situation, and rather than actually dealing with it, you know, we'll just try and cope with it uh, through you know, any various means that our world offers, whether it be drugs, alcohol, sex, food, you know, uh, shopping, whatever it is. I'm going to take my mind off of it. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. I'm going to cope with it. Sometimes we, we think that we can compensate for our problems. We think we can compensate for our sin, and so we try really hard in these other areas because we know we're really bad in these areas. As if, if we do better over here, that'll make up for how terrible we did over there. And then another way is we compromise. We justify it. Well, you know, everybody's, got me everybody's messed up. No one's perfect. I mean, you remember what so-and-so did to me. That's why I am this way. And we begin to justify the reasons for the things that we do. How many of you are really good at justifying all the issues you got in your life? Not me, I always fess up and, and it turns out that I'm never actually wrong, right? I mean, that's our, our attitude. And so the question this morning, is there any real hope of change? And there is. When we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul the Apostle shows us what it looks like to have real life change. And he offers to us the way that we have real life change. The answer is, I think I shared with you last week, I was reading the passage of Scripture that I was going to be preaching to Josiah and Zoe, and I asked them, you know, what does this mean? And their answer was, um, Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus really is the answer. 
Guys, you realize that we live in the year 2017 A.D.? And O Domini, as in the year of our Lord? What came before A.D.? Well, that would be B.C., before Christ. The entire uh, entirety of history is split in two by the appearance of one man, Jesus Christ, before Christ in A.D. I remember in seminary, I had a, a, one of my buddies in seminary, he used to like to tell stories about his life, and he would, he would preface his uh, stories with, now, now boys, let me tell you, this is a B.C. story. And what he meant was, this is before I met Christ story. This is what I was like before I came to Jesus. Because after I came to Jesus, I've been changed. And so change is possible. And so beginning in verse 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we read these words. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the Spirit kills, I mean, but for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will, we not, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Father, I pray that you'd be with us during this time. God, I pray that you would teach us what it means to see real change in our lives this morning. God, I pray for those who have given up hope of change, Lord, that you would reignite that hope in them as they hear the gospel. And God, God, I pray for those who don't even realize they need to change. God, I pray that you would use your word this morning to convict them and show them the areas that they need real life gospel change in their life and in their heart. God, we need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. Our church needs to hear from you. Our community needs to hear from you. God, would you speak to us this morning through your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so Paul, what he does here in these first couple of verses, or verses 4 through 11, is he gives us a, a, a greater versus even greater argument. He says, this is great, the law is great, but the gospel is so much greater. The gospel is so much more glorious, it's so much more amazing. And he tells us why. He says, first, the letter or the law, it kills. The law kills. The letter of the law brings death. It condemns us to die. The law says you are a sinner and that you deserve hell. The law says your only hope is, uh, is to do and be perfect, and we cannot be perfect. The law says obey God or perish. The law says God is infinitely holy and you are totally sinful. The law says that your best righteousness, according to Isaiah, is but filthy rags in the sight of God. That on your best day that the best you can come up with will earn you hell. The point is, is that the best we can do, the most self-improvement we can do, the, the, the strongest effort we can make to be good, obeying God's law actually just brings death. Paul's referring to the, the commandments that Moses brought down off of the mountain 
uh, that God had engraved in stone. And, and he says these commandments were so amazing, so wonderful that Moses had to cover his face. He had to hide his face because the people, when he came down, were terrified of him because his face was shining. He, his face was so bright that they couldn't even bear to look at him. He'd been in the presence of God and this covenant that he brought down was so glorious, so amazing that he had to wear a veil to cover his face. Because they didn't want to see him face to face. They were terrified of him. They're like, dude, you know, your, your face is making me go blind. A little different situation than what I have. But, but it, I mean, you know, that's, anyway, that's just part of nature. Or that's just part of getting older, I guess. But, uh, but Moses' face shined out because he'd been in the presence of God. And because he was bringing down these amazing, this amazing covenant, this amazing truth, God's law. Paul says it's amazing and it's wonderful. It's so amazing. Moses had to cover his face. But actually all it brings is death. How much more amazing is the gospel that brings life? And he goes on in verse 9. If you look back at verse 9 with me. He says, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation. Guys, the, the, the law kills and the law condemns. See, the law of Moses tells us what God expects from us. The law says God expects you to never worship another God. Never put anything or anyone in a position of worshiping that thing or that person more than God. Never saying, God, you've got to take a back seat today because I want to impress this person. God, you've got to take a back seat today because I want to go do this instead of worship you. God, you've got to take a back seat today because I've got something else on my mind and on my heart and I don't have time to think about you. I don't want to do this for you. I want to do this for me. The law says never do that. Always love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. The, the law says that you should always be truthful and honest. That you should not tell lies. That you should do all you can to tell the truth and never misspeak. The law says to never steal, even a little bit of wasted time at work. The law says that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. The law says you're to never look at another person with lust for them in your heart, that you're never to pursue the, the wife or the husband of another person. The law says you're never to want what your neighbor has in such a way that you wish you had it instead of them. The, the law says you are never good enough and you never will be good enough because the law says be holy like God is holy be perfect like God is perfect this is the law that Moses brought down to the people of Israel obey God or else and the truth is guys none of us are perfect here there was only one who was ever perfect and his name is Jesus that's why Paul says that the letter kills and that the law condemns but he goes on in verse 11 and he says, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory. He says that the law was temporary. The law was passing away. He, he points out that Moses' shininess, his shiny complexion, if you will, what was going away, that it was fading. Just in the same way that God designed the law. The law was never the be-all, end-all. It was never the, the end of God's plan. It was only to show the people and to show us that we're not good enough. Paul compares it to a teacher in Galatians that comes and shows us that we don't measure up. It shows us the measuring stick. So often we want to come up with our own measuring stick, right? Well, I am better than my neighbor. Well, good for you. 
But God expects you to be perfect. Just because your neighbor is a bigger jerk than you doesn't make you any less of a jerk. Like that's, that's the problem is, guys, that we want to judge ourselves based on our own standards. But God has actually given us a standard and it's perfection. But the law was temporary in that it was to show us that we are not perfect, that we are not uh, actually what God has called us to, that only Jesus is. When Jesus came, he said, don't think I came to, to do away with the law. No, I came to fulfill the law. The law was fulfilled in Christ. He perfectly did everything God said to do. Paul said the, the old covenant, the covenant of death, the law, what it does is it shows us this is what God expects, and, but this is what we do. It leaves us without hope. The law tells us that we're not good enough. The law tells us what God wants us to do. The gospel tells us what Jesus has actually done. So to just summarize the old covenant versus the new covenant, what Paul is getting at here, the, the law kills, the gospel gives life. The law condemns, the gospel gives righteousness. The law is temporary, the gospel is eternal. As he walks through this argument, as he walks through what he means here, he says, listen, the law kills, but Jesus gives us life. The, the law shows us where we're wrong, but Jesus gives us his own righteousness. The, the law was going away, but, but Jesus provides for us eternal hope and life with him in heaven. You see, the law can't help us because it only shows us our inadequacy. What Jesus does is he undoes our condemnation. He justifies us before God through dying in our place. He offers us real hope for change. He doesn't just say you're condemned. He says you are condemned, but I can offer you hope because I lived perfectly. I did everything the Father told me to do, and on the cross I paid for your sins so that you can live eternally with him if you'll believe on me. See, guys, this is actually the difference between grace and self-improvement. This is the difference between real change and spray paint in the lawn. What Jesus does for us is he offers us hope. In fact, Paul points out just how glorious the, the gospel is because he says because of the glory that surpasses it. In verse 10 he says, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. And, and Paul's point here is, is that Jesus' is gospel, the gospel about Jesus Christ, is so amazing. It's the difference between the sun and the moon. When the sun comes up in the morning, you can't see the moon because the sun shines so brightly. What Jesus does is he offers us hope for real life change and for real life justification, much like the, the sun and the moon, that he covers our sins. He does away with our transgressions and he offers us real life hope for change. And so the question this morning is, how does this work in our lives? How can the gospel change us? And we see this in verses 12 through 16. Look at verses 12 through uh, 16 with me. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not graze at the outcome of what was being brought, gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And so Paul tells us how the gospel changes us. He says, it, let's take the Jews for example. He says, they still don't get it that Jesus has actually come to remove their sins. He, he says, much like the, the veil covered Moses' face so they couldn't actually 
see. He says that's what it's like in their hearts. When they look at the old covenant, they don't see it as pointing to Jesus. They see it as a self-improvement plan. And so they're just doubling down and trying harder to be good. It doesn't work. You all know it doesn't work. You can make all the New Year's resolutions you want to make. You can use all the spray paint you want. But the truth is, is it doesn't work. Jesus is actually the answer. And so he says that when someone turns to the Lord, they're able to see. He opens their eyes. Because the truth of the matter is this morning that self-improvement, self-righteousness, trying harder, it blinds us because it focuses on us and our own ability and so we believe that somehow God is going to deal with us based on our, our situation, on what we can accomplish. And it blinds us to the truth that it's actually about what Jesus has done. You see, what, what many times what happens to us is we take, and we take God's law and we see, okay, well, I'm supposed to do this, this, and this. While we should obey God's law, while we should strive for that, the truth is we can't accomplish it. And it's not until we say, you know what, I give up. Christ is the answer. He's the only way I'll ever be saved. He's the only way I'll ever change. That's when our eyes are finally opened. That's when the veil is finally removed. What Paul does is he points us back to that visual picture that Moses gave us so we can understand that. As long as we cling to self-improvement, as long as we believe that we can do better, that we can be better apart from God, we're going to be blind because we're not going to be able to see the truth. But when we come to Christ, we have a new understanding. We have a new perspective. We can finally see the truth. Until we come to Christ, we're like the, the, the child who refuses to wear their glasses and they can't figure out why they can't see good, why everything looks blurry. I wonder this morning if, if many of us are not like the Jews that Paul was speaking about here. We feel like we can be good enough on our own. We feel like we can accomplish it by what we can do. I, I'll never forget, not long after I started pastoring, a, a guy came to the church who was a, a family friend of someone in the church, and he'd found out he'd gotten bad news from the doctor that week, and so he showed up. This fella, you know, he was fairly wealthy, and he put money in the offering, and he let me know he put money in the offering, and, and then later on in the week, he called me. He was like, hey, it worked. I got a call back from the doctor, and it turns out it was all a false alarm. So every time I'm in trouble now, I'm just going to come and put some money in the offering. And I was like, man, I don't think you understand the way that God works. Like, you can't actually pay him off, right? I mean, that, but that's what, what he thought. He thought that he could compensate for his sin. He thought he could compensate for all the things that he'd done wrong. He thought he could compensate for his own weakness and for his ill health. And the truth is, is it just does not work that way. And while we won't necessarily say that out loud, it, or at least I don't think we would say that out loud, we act that same way. How often do we think that coming to church on Sunday or teaching Sunday school or doing something nice for someone else somehow compensates for our sin, for our lack of obedience to the Lord? Like we're making up for it. Paul asked the question, he said, who's given anything to the Lord and he'll be repaid back? Like it's all his we, he doesn't owe us anything. Jesus said that if we do everything we're supposed to do, the way we're supposed to do it, at the end of the day, we can say we're unprofitable servants. We don't have anything to give God. It's like the example we use so often of your kids buying you Christmas presents with your money. Right? You're not any ahead. But that's what we try to do with the Lord. We think that somehow we can pay Him back when our debt is eternal. 
and only an eternally uh, 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 only an eternal debt could be be paid by an eternal price, and that eternal price is Christ. And so we we compensate and we forget that it's actually about what Jesus has done, not about what we can do. And so this morning we see that the gospel gives us new sight and new clarity when we understand that it's not about us, it's about Him. You know, and it helps with not being able, what all of a sudden happens is we don't look down our nose quite so far to people in our lives because we're reminded that it's not about us. It's about what Christ has done. That there, but for the grace of God, there go I. And we have a totally new mindset and a totally new uh, way of looking at the world. But then we come to verse 17. And Paul says this, he says, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's hope. You see, what happens is, guys, is the Holy Spirit enters us, and I don't understand everything there is to know about that because we're not told everything there is to know about how the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. I just know He does come in, and He changes us, and He gives us the ability to serve the Lord. He, he empowers us to, to follow after Him, and, and He sets us free. As long as we're coping, as long as we're compensating, as long as we're compromising, we're enslaving ourselves to sin. As long as we're trying to do it on our own, we're going to be slaves. But as soon as we trust on the Lord, as soon as we put our hope in Jesus, you know what happens? He sets us free. You see, our own ability enslaves us, but Jesus sets us free. The gospel sets us free. You may feel like this morning you're trapped. You may feel like there's no hope for real change in your life. You may feel like no matter what I do, I, I can't do anything better. I can't do anything right. I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to quit. You feel like you're locked into a, a certain way of living. You feel like you're locked into a set of behaviors like this is just who I am. I'm just going to give up because I can never be good enough. Guys, that's, that's not the way that God calls us to live. He calls us to live in freedom, not trying to earn His favor, but walking in His favor because of what Jesus has done. We don't have to earn His love. Christ gives us His love. Christ gives us forgiveness through what He has done. We don't earn it. It's given freely. That's why it's called grace. Like if you could earn it, it wouldn't be called grace. It would be called your paycheck. But we try, don't we? And we get trapped because we begin to look at our life and say, okay, this is how I live. This is what God calls me to. I can never get from here to there because I can never pay God back for everything I've done. And so rather than trying to deal with it, I think I'm just going to cope. I'm going to compromise and pretend like this isn't really sin because everybody messes up. Nobody's perfect. But Paul says, no, you can be free from that. You can be free from that way of thinking and understand that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and gives you the strength you need to change. That He gives you what you need so that you don't have to cope with your sin anymore, so you don't have to keep on trying to compensate, so that you don't have to compromise, but that you can actually have real gospel change. Well, how does this happen? How does this work? You're like, well, that sounds good, but I'm a Christian, and it's not happening. Come to verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul says that we are looking on the Lord without the veil that the others are looking at, but that we're actually looking on Him, we're seeing more of Him. It's the same truth that we find in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, where John writes and he says, Beloved, we are now God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared 
But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. What Paul is saying here is that looking at ourselves for change, it does nothing. It changes nothing. But looking at Jesus changes everything. That the problem is, is we want to look at ourselves and figure out how to improve ourselves, and we think that we have the answer. We think we have the ability. But what Paul says here is the more we look at Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. The more we look at Jesus, the more we are changed. He says, changed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. In other words, when you first become a Christian, you don't look like you will look many, many years from now as you continue to walk with Him as you continue to follow after Him, as you continue to see more of Him, it's one degree of glory to the next. It's a constant process as you grow more and more Christ-like. Like, you guys ever notice how if you spend a lot of time with folks, you start acting like they do, for better or worse, right? I remember we'd been in North Carolina for a couple of years, and they had this phrase, I guess it wasn't North Carolina necessarily, I don't want to misrepresent that state it was the county that we lived in and they had a habit of when you were going to ask for something or going to look for something they had a weird way of saying it so like if i was looking for a store i'd say i'm looking for a store that sells gasoline they wouldn't say that they would say he's looking a store like they just leave out the the word for and it's so weird right i mean what what does that even mean well after a couple years you know i was saying it like they had this weird thing for peanut butter crackers. Peanut butter crackers it wasn't peanut butter crackers. It was nabs because Nabisco, I guess. But, but anyway, it was just, it's like, man, I'm, I'm starting to talk like them. The more I spend time with them. And you guys know this is true as well in your own life. You're like, man, why am I mad all the time? Why am I complaining all the time? Oh, yeah, I've been hanging out with them, and that's all they do. Or I'm happy all the time. Why am I happy? Oh, yeah, I've been hanging out with them, and they're always happy. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more like Jesus you're going to look. You can't spend time with him and not be convicted over your sin. And so what will happen many times is we'll be in sin and we won't want to deal with it and we won't want to change and so we won't spend time with him. And we'll be like, man, this gospel thing doesn't work. This Christian thing doesn't work. I thought the preacher said I would be changed. We're not spending time with Jesus. If you're not spending time with Jesus, how are you supposed to look like him? You see, it's from one degree of glory to the next. It's from as we look at Him, as we spend time with Him, as we read His Word, as we pray to Him, as we spend time with His people. If you're not doing those things, yeah, you're probably not changing. If you're not doing those things, you're probably not growing. Well, I can tell you, you're not growing. At least not the way you should be growing. Paul looks at us this morning. God looks at us this morning and He says, you can try all you want. You can work as hard as you want to change yourself. But it's going to be a failed effort if you're not walking in the gospel, if you're not walking in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not attempting change through who Christ is and what He has done. Because we must make sure that we're spending time with Him. We must make sure that we are following after Him, that we are studying His Word, that we are praying, that we are spending time with His people in real-life relationships. Not once a week for an hour but walking with other believers through real life. Because that's where you actually get to see who people really are, right? When they actually have to make decisions. And, and so this morning, are you spending time with the Lord? Are you committing yourself to spending time with the Lord? It's not going to just happen. You actually have to commit yourself to do it. Ask yourself this, this question this morning. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? Have you ever trusted in Him? You, you in a mess this morning, you think, man, there's no way I can get out of this. There's no way I can ever change. 
Is that you this morning? Jesus says you can have a new life. He says that you can be brand new. He says that all the old can go away and the new can come. If you'll believe on Him, if you turn to Him, otherwise you'll go on believing that you can do it on your own. You'll go on disappointed and depressed. But if you turn to Him, your eyes are open. Are you B.C. or A.D. this morning? Are you living as if Jesus has never come? Or are you living in uh, His grace and His love? If you've never trusted on Christ, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. But if you have believed on Him and you have trusted on Him and you're not growing, ask yourself, am I, am I spending time with Him? Like, Am I giving Jesus a, a place in my life? Am I giving Him a priority in my life? Or am I trying to grow on my own? Have I forgotten the truth that it's not actually about the self-help books? That it's not actually about a set of principles or rules or laws, but it's actually about seeing more of Christ. If you've forgotten that this morning, would you repent? You say, Lord, please forgive me of trying to walk in my own righteousness, trying to improve my own self and just spray painting my lawn when what I really need is some water. Would you come back to the Lord? Would you come back to Him? Would you be reminded this morning that His face is the only thing that's going to change you? His grace, His power, His spirits what's actually going to do the work. Would you spend time with Him this week? And, and then just, I, I want to ask you, are you sharing the gospel? Are you sharing the good news about Jesus? Paul says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And he goes on and he says, not like Moses who put a veil over his face, but instead we're, we're going to share it proudly and boldly as we uh, encounter other folks. Are you sharing the gospel? Like, if you really believe this, if you really believe that Jesus changes your life and you really believe He can change the lives around you, are you acting out on that faith? Are you sharing the gospel with folks in your life? Sharing with others this glorious truth that's more amazing and more wonderful than anything else in the world? Have you moved past looking down on folks who are stuck into the place where you say, you know what, Jesus can change anyone. He changed me, He can change them. I want to ask you this morning, are you walking with Him? Are you walking with your face, looking at His face? Or are you trying to walk in your own power? If you are, if you're trying to walk in your own power and your own strength, would you repent and turn to Him? If you would stand with us, and as you stand, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we'll have a time of invitation. If you need to do business with the Lord down here, please come down and, and pray at the altar. Come pray with me.